Boy, these verses were interesting, weren't they? (laughs) Okay, let's go before the Lord. (sighs) Jesus, we just thank you for um, your word, Lord, that um, it's not always easy things to swallow or to understand, but there are things that you want to teach us, Lord, and you want to keep us in check with. So, God, I just lifted up to you tonight. Um, the study, and I lift up our hearts. I pray that you would just prepare each heart that came. I thank you for each lady that's here. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us with our minds. Um, might maybe just weary with our week or what's going on in our families or whatever it might be, Lord. Um, we're distracted with. Help us to focus and to just um, give you our very best. So we just come before you right now, Lord, and um, lift up this time. We pray you bless these words, Lord, that have been prepared and um, that it would not be my words, but your words. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Um, I do want to share one more thing. So we we only meet one more time. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I'm excited because this is stressful. (laughs) Just being honest. No, it's been a lot of fun. It's been very challenging for me and um, it's, it's been a, it's been a good time and I'm very thankful that you all kept it coming and, and we're troopers. So I pray you are blessed by James and definitely be praying for what's to come in the fall as well. Um, but for the last one on the 21st, if some of you would like to bring a dessert, I thought it would be fun, um, to have dessert on our last night to just celebrate our last night together. We probably will also have like a spring women's event in the spring just like something simple here. So that'll, you know, on Sundays, it'll be announced about that. Just like a one-time thing. All right. So we are in James chapter five. And I am just going to read the first 12 verses. One through 12. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. That was scary enough for me. Your riches are corrupt, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosions will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Okay. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fat fatten your hearts as in the day of slaughter you have condemned you have murdered the just he does not resist you therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain you also be patient establish your hearts for the for the coming of the lord is at hand do not grumble against one another brethren lest you be condemned Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Okay, part of healthy parenting includes what? Warning and correcting our children as needed. 
as well as encouraging them and offering them guidance on how to handle hard experiences. Both are needed at different times as children progress toward mature, maturity. Same way as children of God progress toward spiritual maturity, we need the same. Sometimes we need warnings and even correction to challenge error in thinking and behavior. Sometimes we also need encouragement and guidance to get through hurtful or hard times. Um, here it addresses two main subjects in light of their current experiences in the society and church. Verses 1 through 6 caution against the danger of falling in love with money and material things. And verses 7 through 12 counsel how to process mistreatment and endure through life difficulties. Nothing new under the sun. Today in our modern society church, they needed the same help as we do today. Given the background, why James is sharing this helps us understand why he is saying these things. James is addressing a problem and injustice that was happening among the society back in that day between the two basic classes of people that existed in the ancient world. The super wealthy landowners who controlled the money and, all, and they also used their power influence to control and manipulate what happened in the society. The other class, the working poor who labored hard in the fields and properties of the rich to receive daily wages in order to exist day by day. Many of the ungodly rich, not being in a relationship with the Lord, had no regard for God, God or people. Their primary agenda was to just keep enriching themselves. The result, they were oppressing and mistreating the poor working class, which most of the early Christians were part of. Many believers who were these day laborers undergoing unjust suffering mistreatment resulted in undergoing struggles and feeling disheartened and discouraged in their oppression. Let's look at these two main lessons here. First, the first main lesson, and we see this in verses 1 through 6, is the caution against the danger of falling in love with money and material things. And that's what the world does to us constantly through the TV, um, through social media. I mean, it's just constant. You go to any mall, you know, it's always screaming, you need this to be happy. You need that to be happy. It's constant. So I'm going to read that again. It cautions us against the danger of falling in love with money and material things. Who James is addressing identifies them as the rich, those with greater financial wealth than the average people. They possess riches and top and expensive garments of clothing. They had gold, silver, and excess treasure. They could spend money without concerns, no limits. They were living in pleasure and luxury on earth, enjoying a fancy way of life, indulging in pleasurable experiences, nice trips, unlimited entertainment, and recreation and fun. The Bible does not teach that there's anything wrong with that, with being wealthy or rich. Um, they're a blessing, actually, as long as it is obtained properly and ethically and managed correctly with a right heart. This is where caution is necessary. Having wealthy wealth riches can be a slippery slope. It's difficult to handle wealth and prosperity. It can be a snare to, to our souls as people. The Bible shows this and directly speaks about it in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we bought nothing, brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which draw men in destruction and perdition. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Even as a romantic love affair in marriage can cause a person to make some really bad decisions and to treat people very poorly for indulgent reasons, as an unhealthy desire for and attachment for money, to money, love affair with a financial gain, wealth, becomes a root of all kinds of evil things stemming from life. We stray from good. We start behaving in ways and doing things that are wrong, hurtful, and self-destructive because we're constantly absorbed and focused on getting that thing or striving to make this amount or attain whatever. This is what we, we see portrayed here of the rich that James is cautioning who were on a dangerous path of ruin. Their love of money had established a root of evil in their hearts and in their actions. Notice here some of the wrong things they were doing. The wrong things are also what we can do if we fall in love with money or material things. Verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep, and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Their path that they were on, though they did not see it, was going to lead down a misery, right? Right down misery road. So their miseries were coming upon them. Often loving wealth, material things, and overindulging in them more than we should can often send us down a path where we end up miserable. Because why? Those things never, ever satisfy, right? Verse 2 and 3 to 3b, your riches are corrupt and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat, be, will eat your flesh like fire. Ugh, sounds painful. They failed to keep in mind that all their wealth and possession had an expiration date. Temporary things become worthless in time. Why shouldn't we, why, why shouldn't, why we shouldn't value them so much, but we tend to value them more than we do people. They had so much gold and nice clothes, it was deteriorating before they could use it. They had more than they needed, become, they became wasteful and unappreciative. Others barely had what they needed. They, in luxury, felt they always needed more or nicer things, so they just kept attaining more and more to where they weren't even, probably clothes just laying there wasted, they didn't even get to wear them before moth started eating them or whatever. They had lost touch with reality of what a person really needs and how to be truly appreciative. When we become in love with temporary or material things, we lose perspective on what really matters in life. We often become wasteful, poor stewards, lack of appreciation for things, and for people. We treat people different when our heart is set on things and material things. Sometimes having too much blinds us to the realities of how most people live normally. In three, verse 3, the second part, you have heaped up treasures in the last days. They had become very self-indulgent people on earth, forgotten about the value of spiritual life, spiritual riches, and eternal treasures. We see this in Jesus' story in Luke 12, 15 through 21. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. 
and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And what do I and what and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, <laughs> this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You often think of a funeral, and they're, they're not carrying all the stuff behind them. It's just here, left. You know, you take, you take nothing with you, you know, when you leave. But people can be affected by your life. Those that you pour into, that you love, the example that you lead, that's, that's what's forever. That's what's eternal. Okay, so let's look at verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed, mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and their cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Here we see another root of evil, that their love of wealth brought into their lives. They began to mistreat people. They weren't even paying those who were working for them. And here these poor people were crying out for their, you know, the injustice. So they began to mistreat people in cruel and hurtful ways, mainly so they could get more stuff. Um, they were holding back proper payment and even using power to abuse and take advantage of people. Hopefully, we would never do these kinds of things, but sadly, wanting more money or nicer material things can make our heart get cold and unkind. So it's all like, you know, it's like shepherding a child's heart um, by um, Paul Tripp, that book. You're, you're all, we're always back to the heart issue, right? What is our heart doing? What, how, what's our heart motive in that situation or in this? What's our heart motive in that thing that we want or think we need? You know, it's always a good thing to check our hearts when we're um, seeking after things. When you start putting your desire above everything else, if it starts consuming you, it's constantly on your thoughts. Um, it's, you know, making you just, you can't be happy unless you have that thing. Then maybe ask the Lord to put it in perspective, to really ask yourself, Lord, help me to really know. Yeah, the, the world or my or my best friend has it and she looks happy or, you know, whatever the situation is. Lord, is this, is this a want or is this a need? And then it really, it really can make sense for you. Is this, is this something I, and there's, and God will bless you with the wants. He does do that. He is good about that. So not all wants are bads, but just sometimes if we're getting a little out of hand with it consuming you and you're making everybody around you miserable because you've got to have that thing, you know, um, I don't know if you ever, any of you guys have ever seen. Who's the funny guy? Where are my girls? Who's the funny guy we always watch? The comedian? Tim Hawkins. Tim Hawkins. He shares this thing um, about his daughter wanting an iPhone. And that, it just makes me think of that. Like that, He has this whole thing about an iPhone that she's just not going to make it unless she gets an iPhone. So I think that that's how, how, that's how we can be as kids. Like, you know, we just can't, we got to have that thing to we're happy. And that's what's going to make us happy. And then you realize you get the iPhone and you're like, it didn't satisfy anything. You know, the things never satisfy. All right, verse five. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in day of slaughter. Their overattachment to enjoying life on earth Indulging its pleasures and luxury had made them lose perspective that God and people have way more value. 
like a well-fed cattle being fattened for destruction. The devil had given them such an appetite for pleasure, for nicer things and enjoying on earth, they lost connection on what matters most, God, people, and they were heading down a path of self-ruin, as we see here. Jesus cautions about us about cares of this life, life and deceitfulness of riches, choking out the spiritual life. Because if you're constantly, you know, got to get here with this job to make that, you're so self-absorbed trying to get those things that you forget that there's, you know, you might have a sister or a friend who's going through something that, and you're too concerned about that, that you don't have time to love on that person or bring that person a meal or whatever it might be. So I think it's just, it's we're constantly balancing, you know, we're constantly keeping our hearts before the Lord. God, keep me in check because I don't want this thing to make the reason why I get up and do what I do tomorrow. Or, you know, I don't want the reason why I work to be to get, be consuming me for this thing or this item, but give me a right heart attitude that help me to work unto you. Who, who can I? Who is watching me today and knows that I love you, Lord? Just be in that example. Money is a great servant, but it's a horrible master. Beware of becoming too, too attached or falling in love with money and material things. It may be fun to indulge. But overindulgence has ruined people spiritually, and it makes a beautiful woman become ugly. I think on the opposite side, too, it's fun when you are blessed to be able to then bless others. I think that, I always think that, I always, I, sometimes I play this game with my girls. I still do it now. Well, Carly's the only one at home, but I'll be like, I'll say to her and Ryan, okay, let's just talk. What if God gave you a million dollars? What would you do with it today? And you had to decide by the end of the day, by five o'clock. And I'll make like, you know, her, Ryan and Tony all say what we would do just to see what, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of fun game. All right. So the second thing is the council, how to process mistreatment and endure through life difficulties. We will see this in verse seven through 12. James addressed here the poor working class, class laborers who were being mistreated and hurt by greedy and evil landowners to help them get through this hurt and hardships. It's hard when we're mistreated. It's, it's, it's no fun. So let's just look at seven. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Part of our earthly journey in life will include times where we are mistreated and hurt by people. I think the hardest kind of hurt is when you, you, do, you don't do anything wrong that you know of. That you've, that you can put a finger on it. I think it's easier if, okay, like I said something I should have said. I, I'm sorry for that. But when you don't know what you've done and you're kind of blindsided, I think that's hard um, to deal with. But God can give you the strength to deal with it. He's He's so faithful if you wait on Him, and seek Him, and um, and He'll give you. Or I think the other thing is where someone's done wrong to you and you never hear those two words, I'm sorry. And you want to hear them so desperately because you think, I, I'll heal. If, I, if he just would say, I'm sorry, I could heal and we could go on from this. And I've come to realize I may never hear those two words from my birth dad um, for how he treated me at one time um, in a way a father should never speak to their daughter, let alone a friend or a friend. And um, 
I see him now at, at different occasions, family events, and um, I, I will not let him push me out of the family events because I'm family too. So I choose to still go. Uh, other families just other family members just choose not to go because they know he will be there, but I won't let him win that too. So I'm always like, okay, Lord, give me give me your love for him and help me to forgive him the way you want me to forgive him, even if I never hear I'm sorry here on earth. Um, and that's hard, you know, but it's very healing because the last family event, he did approach me and just started talking to me, um, you know, about COVID and how he was doing after he had had COVID. And I'm just <laughs> looking at him like, yeah, we had it too and we're good. And I mean, just like nothing's ever happened. And that's hard for me mentally to do that. But because we have Jesus, we can do that. You know what I mean? And I, I could walk away from it okay. Did it shake me in my boots and was my stomach hurting really bad? And But I, I'm glad that I did it because I, could I have just been like, don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. I'm here for grandmom. And you know what I mean? But why cause a scene? Why why keep beating it? You know what I mean? Like he he's at a loss. You know, he's missed out on three beautiful girls and their weddings and great-grandchildren that are coming. And, and it, I mean, if this is all he wants, then this is what – He's going to get, you know, he'll get the relationship as it comes. So sometimes on this side of the earth, long story, sorry, we don't get those two words. What do you do with that? How do you handle it? Do we just let that bitterness root in there? No. You ask the Lord for strength, for his, I mean, you look at the way Jesus was treated and you think, he, what did he do to deserve the way he was treated? And he still loved and forgave and ultimately died on the cross for these people. You know what I mean? Like, so um, we can do it with his strength is all I'm saying. God, God is able. He really is. And like the word says, his thoughts are better than our thoughts. His ways are better than our ways. He has a plan that we know do not completely understand and will not till we're before him someday completely understand that. So, it can be a snare to our spiritual life, being hurt, going through hard times, suffering. We need wisdom how to properly respond. Remember, we, we don't want to react, we want to respond. This is what we find in these verses, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. I love that he says, be patient two times. Because I feel like we earthly people are not patient, right? He encourages those suffering to exercise patience, endurance, not, not to overreact. Who's overreacted? Nobody here, right? Nah. Qu- quickly, under the pressure they feel in hard times. I'll be the first to admit I can overreact. So he's, he's telling us, be patient twice. Don't cave in under the pressure of mistreatment or hardship in life. Learn how to bear up under it by God's help and strength being supplied to you. When we have been hurt or are enduring hard times, naturally to be tempted, we're tempted to react, right? Impulsively, in anger, in frustration, in exhaustion, or even to protect from worst hurt. Problem is when we fail to exercise patient endurance, we often behave in wrong ways or we say or do things we should not key in times of hurt or hardship learns learning to wait 
to be patient and to watch. See what unfolds. Allow time. Time is always a good thing because in the middle of the heat of the moment of an argument or something that happens that you're like taken back by, um, time is so good because it allows your emotions to kind of level out. And we as women can be, you know what I mean? Our emotions can be like that. Okay? So it's good to just level out and give yourself. I used to always say, give myself, I just need a timeout. More than you need a timeout, mommy needs a timeout. Um, so that's, it's learn to wait, to pray and watch, see what unfolds, allow time to be sure if we do something, it's the right thing done the right way. I think it's real hard to be patient and wait because in my mind, I'm thinking if something's happened and I'm not dealing with it, then I, then it just like kind of eats at me. You know what I mean? Till, till it gets deal with. Like Tony's real good at if someone calls and leaves a, or leaves a message or a text, I really need to talk to you. I'm like vomiting in the bathroom. And he's like, it's fine. I'll talk to them tomorrow. I'm like, this is so stressful. Like, I'm, I can't even sleep tonight. And you're okay? What if it's like major? Like, he's like, Trish. I'm like, okay. All right. So sometimes it's like our mind just thinks it's like the worst thing ever or it's a big issue when it could be something real simple. I mean, there are big issues too, but it could be something so simple, but our emotions can get the best of us. <sighs> okay, so it's the right thing done the right way. We want to be sure we do it that way. Second, also reminds them to keep an eternal perspective and remember Jesus is going to come release us all from this hardship so soon. I can't wait. Two times he says in here, the Lord is coming. When our Lord comes back, he will rescue us from all hurt, all hardship, and he'll release us from struggle and suffering. Remembering and staying focused that our Lord is coming for us helps us stay hopeful and peaceful when times are tough. Yet this hurtful or hardship to go through, but one day when Jesus comes, it'll all be okay. And when he comes, he can deal with those who have done me wrong, right? It encourages the hurting person to remember how a farmer patiently waits for good fruit. It's not fast. It comes in time. It's got to be the right rain, the right sun. A farmer keeps sowing seeds and expecting his reward of harvest will come eventually. There's not fruit tomorrow. It takes a lot of time. He cannot get discouraged that it takes time because all good things take time and they're not overnight. Often one best thing can do in a hard times is to just keep sowing seeds of keep living, right? Of right living. Keep doing the right thing. Keep making good choices. God's reward will come. Wait for the blessing of God. He will in due time reward righteous living, right? So we see him saying he's going to come. He's coming soon. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Then we look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, a judge is standing at the door. Another com common temptation when we have been hurt or are going through hardship in some way is to start complaining and become very critical in spirit. He warns us not to be grumbling and to remember that they are not the ultimate judge. He is. And that's who we need to be worried about, right? The ultimate judge of people is the Lord. It is his role and right to judge what people do. In our weakness from personal hurt or being worn out from hard experiences, our own sinful nature can begin to misguide us in how we behave in response. We start to grumble, complain, maybe whining. 
God says that it's not right, nor is it going to help anything. Second, in anger and frustration, we start to become unfairly critical and spirit of people like a judge. Like we become their judge. It's never healthy when we start being critical and negative in attitude or words. Nobody likes being around a negative Nelly. Nobody likes a critical person, always critical in comments of people. Um, it can be very exhausting to be around. James says, beware, the true judge of people is standing at the door nearby. He is listening and may enter in the, into the situation at any time. We don't want the Lord to hear us complaining or being critical and come through that door to need to correct us for behaving wrongly. Instead, be patient and gracious. Let the Lord deal with the people who are doing wrong. All right, let's go to verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. When we are suffering, it helps us to realize and always remember that we are not the only one who has to endure mistreatment, hurt, or hardship. Many godly people in the scripture who faithfully serve God endured hard times too. They remind us suffering is simply part of our human journey. And when we, see, when we seek to live in a way that honors and serves the Lord, like the prophets who spoke God's word, sought to do God's word, work follows God's will. The result is they suffered at times for doing what was righteous and pleasing to God, same way to do what is right as we may suffer as a result. We may endure hard things at times because of spiritual warfare that attacks our life. But other times, too, I think if the Lord left us the way we came, those hard times are some of those treasure times in my life. I like to look back at and say, okay, Lord, you didn't want to leave me as an infant. You wanted me to grow up in that area. So that's why you allowed that hard time to come into my life. So I would, what, stay on the right path and keep seeking the Lord through it, right? Not veer off to the right or veer off to the left or check out or whatever, you know, the world has to offer, that we would keep going to the Lord and ask him, okay, how do you want me to grow from this experience or this hardship or this painful issue or some suffering or whatever it might be, you guys. I mean, we all have a, a blank where we could put different things in that blank um, that we've been through. And it's, what are you going to do with that? Like, how are you going to handle it? We should take the example of servants of God from prior generations to learn from and to keep us from overreacting. If anyone had the right to overreact, it was Job. Like, I just think, you know, when you ever read what he went through, I'm like, Lord, please, don't let me have to go through all that. Like, I don't think I could make it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, he, everything was stripped from him. Everything. Um... And they stay inspired. They kept doing it right despite what happened to them. Verse 11a, there is always a blessing for those who endure and do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. How many friends or family members who walk the Lord and have gone through something have checked out? A lot, right? Have you seen so many that you thought would not check out, have just walked away or just couldn't handle it and gave up, it just breaks your heart. We want to encourage them to keep going, to not lose heart, that the fruit will come if you keep, you keep going, to like baby steps, one step in front of another. 
Verse 11, God gives us an example in Job's life that though hard times and suffering may come, that, at the, that in the end, the Lord orchestrates something good. In verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The latter part of Job's life, after he went through the season of suffering, learned lessons, ended up being very blessed. He was more blessed at the end than when he started. This is often the way the Lord, the way of the Lord. Through hard and painful things, better things can come in the end. He may allow us to experience hardship, hurt, yet he is deepening our faith and still working something for our good, ultimately. God permits hard things in our lives, but he makes sure they serve some purpose also. Romans 8.28, it's a classic verse I'm sure we all have memorized, and I think often we we have it quick memorized, but we forget to go back to it, to pull it out of our hat, you know, one of the good ones. And we know that all good things work together for good to those who love God. Does he say some things, a few things, one or two things? No, he says all, all things. And we know that all things work together for good. We may not see how that's going to turn out for good, but he does. And we need to just trust him. What was the key for Job? And for us, perseverance, not giving up or falling apart under the pressures of hardship, but carrying on and pushing through. It is important in both the spiritual life as well as life generally to mature and exercise perseverance, seeking the Lord for needed grace, to exercise strength, and to keep going. Perseverance is what develops character. The major key to perseverance is keeping perspective, to see a bigger picture down the road, when we lose perspective, we lose heart, and we fail to persevere as we should in hard times. And verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with another oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. The last bit of counsel James gives to us in times when we are hurt by people or just going through hard times in life is to be careful that you don't let emotions control you, where you say things that you don't mean. Saying one thing when really in your heart you're, you mean something else. You're just saying it under the pressure to just jab at that person back um, when you really don't mean it. And as soon as it comes out, you wish you could retract it. Um, the Bible says we should make decisions and commit to things, agree with sincere thought. If I say yes, it's because I'm totally fine with saying yes, not reluctant about it after. If I say no, it's because I truly think it's best right now to say no. Don't feel guilty over it. When we say yes, it should never be because we are pressured into agreeing to something that only leads to regrets. Really pray and seek the Lord and have a peace about it. We should also realize it's okay to say no at appropriate times, not wrong, or it's not mean to say no. Maybe the Lord's just wanting to do something else or wanting to use someone else or whatever the situation may be. If you don't have peace about it, don't go forward. That's always been our motto. If there's confusion, no decisions will be made. And don't do anything if there's confusion. We always say confusion's from the enemy. Saying no to something we are not at peace with is wise and sometimes needed. 
don't fall into the snare of never being able to tell people no. Um, don't be a people pleaser. That will lead to a very miserable life. Make your decision not based in the heightened pressure of emotion and hardship. Make, make your decisions after you get emotions under control based off what is right. This protects you from making a hard situation become worse because we reacted wrong in what we said that should not have. Be a person of your word. Oh, the how that is needed in today's word. Despite what the pressure you are under, we need to be consistent, stable, reliable in what we say. People count on what you say, especially your children. Even when we are under pressure, God expects that you remain that same person. Hardship and hurt does not give us a free pass to deviate in how we act or talk. The mark of maturity is being able to honor God and cheat, cheat, treat people properly. When life is going well and we are treated good, but also when we're hurting and struggling. 